don't just happen. They take time. They take work. They take leaders who are dedicated to presenting the, the never-changing message in ever-changing ways. I thought, wow, that is a good statement. And then I, I looked down at the, who the speakers were and was dismayed. The, the, the third man listed was a man who uh, openly denies the Trinity. He holds to what is called today uh, one of the theology. Uh, historically, it was called Sabellian modalism. Don't you like that word? Write it down because you may want to use it later in the week. It traces uh, clear back to, as far as we can tell, 190 A.D. That's far back in church history. And then in uh, 325 at the very first church council, the, the, the church council at Nicaea, it was uh, proclaimed a heresy. People have tried to talk to this man about this, but he refuses to discuss the issue, claiming it's just semantics. Semantics, really? Either you believe in the Trinity or you don't. There's, 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 there's no semantics about it. Either you hold to the Trinity or you don't. Now that said, we don't have to necessarily understand the Trinity. It's one of those things that sprains our brains. Martin Luther said to, to deny the Trinity is to risk our salvation. But to, but to try to explain it, to explain the Trinity is to risk our sanity. This is where John takes us. He looks at the underpinnings of the world and he brings us to the realization that there are, are spirits, spirits everywhere. Spirits we need to be aware of and spirits we need to be wary of. And while John speaks of how numerous these spirits are, he puts them into just two categories, the, the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. The spirit of uh, falsehood teaches any number of things in a, in a variety of ways and, and is interwoven throughout the fabric of our society. It's ever-changing. It's ever adapting itself to the times and the circumstances, what's happening, and so that it, it's relevant, that it fits, so that it's always up to date, always so appropriate, and always so appealing. Verse 1 opens, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yes, the, the world oozes with this spirit of falsehood. Regardless of what it teaches or how it teaches what it does, it always claims to be your friend and, and to have as its goal your highest happiness. All you have to do is to get in line and follow along. Sound familiar? Politicians tell us this all the time. Now, this is an election year, in case you've missed it. 
But candidates always have this proposal or, or, or claim to have the plan that's going to improve your happiness and, and your future. And then there's education. Education, again, always has some new, new program to, to solve the ills of society, sex, drugs, violence, bigotry. Education is always going to solve it. They're going to educate us out of it. Oddly enough, uh, statistics prove just the opposite. Sex education has been an abject failure. Sexual immorality has increased, not decreased. As have the side effects of uh, disease and pregnancy and abortion. You can go right on down the line, can't you? This is true with bigotry, it's true with bullying, it's true with drugs. The schools had drug programs. It's not improved a thing. Doesn't matter what program education launches, there doesn't seem to be any desired results. And oh yes, there's religion. John is particularly speaking of religion when he uses the phrase false prophets. Religion throws its hefty two cents in here as well. But again, failure has proven the product. The problem is mankind is, is still battling the same crippling effects of the same old problem that it has always battled. Granted, some things have changed, but marginally, most remain every bit as troublesome. Mankind battles the same issues that it always has. And this text tells us why. The spirit of falsehood is alive and well on planet Earth. And with all of the, the demands it makes and all of the forms it takes, there is one unifying demand that it makes upon you. Did you notice it? John brings it up. One unifying demand that the spirit of falsehood brings up, do not accept the truth of God in Jesus Christ. This is the single common denominator in the spirit of falsehood that it so prevalently influences our world. Do not accept the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Be religious, sure. Get involved, but, but don't get serious about Jesus Christ for who he is and what he did. Look at verse 2. <clears throat> By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You see, there it is, God in the flesh. Something unique, something unusual, something that has never happened and will never happen again. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The spirit of falsehood will do anything it can to keep you away from the Lord. Get you involved in religion? Yes. Educate you? Yes. There's technology. We can, we can on, go on down the line. Science. Go on down the line. It will do anything it can to keep you away from the Lord. And it all begins with keeping Jesus out of our lives. 
sure, jump on whatever bandwagon you want. But under no circumstances get serious about Jesus Christ for who he is and why he came. One of the more disturbing things recently is what's happened in the U.S. military. It's done everything it can to remove Jesus from its ranks. Education did it a long time ago, decades ago. But the military is doing it now. Chaplains are no longer supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. You can pray any way you want, but just don't pray in the name of Jesus. This came to a head down in the Air Force Academy, by the way. No praying in the name of Jesus, and why? Well, it might offend others. We, we don't want to offend others, do we? Right now, the big push is for Buddhist and especially Islamic chaplains in our military. Why do you suppose this universal consensus against the Lord Jesus Christ? Why this single, fi- this, this single unifying aspect of the spirit of falsehood, decidedly anti-Christ? Any idea why? Well, because uh, our problem, the problem of the ages, is sin, and Jesus came to deal specifically with that issue. Our problem, the problem of sin, sin in our lives. The problem with with politics, the problem with education, the problem with religion is, guess what, the problem of sin. Sin that denies the work and power of Jesus Christ. Sin that refuses to give God his rightful place in our lives. In contrast to the spirit of uh, falsehood is the spirit of truth. It too is at work in our world. Less seen, uh, but every bit as much at work anyway. The spirit of truth in contrast to the, the spirit of falsehood is limited in what it accepts and what it promotes. And unlike the spirit of falsehood, the spirit of truth expects discernment. Well, the spirit of falsehood expects the adherents to, to get in line and, and follow along blindly. The spirit of truth expects its people to be thinkers, critical thinkers. Uh, uh, Again, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test. Did you see that word test? It could be translated, but judge. But judge the spirits to see whether they are from God, for every false spirit has gone out into the world. Each of us in Christ is to way the events around us, the influences uh, around us, the, the blitz of philosophies that, that are thrown at us to see if they measure up. We in Christ need to maintain a, a critical analysis of thoughts and presumptions and priorities being presented by, by society. Peggy Noonan articulated the difference in an article entitled, You'd Cry Too. Here in part is what she said. We have lost somehow a sense of mystery about us, our God, our purpose, our meaning, our role, 
our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this one to be the, the solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and shorter one. We are the first generation of man that, that actually expects to find happiness here on earth. And our search for it has caused, caused much unhappiness. The reason, if you do not believe in another higher world, if you believe only in the flat material world around you, and if you believe that this is your only chance at happiness, if that's what you believe, then you are disappointed when the world does not give you a good measure of, it, of its riches. You are left despairing. Are we as believers living under a wrong set of priorities with, with wrong expectations? Let me suggest probably. Those who do not test the influences of the world condemn themselves to the world's false and fatal agenda. And to top it off, we cheat ourselves out of the blessings of the gospel. Think about that. We cheat ourselves out of the blessings of God. This takes us right back to John's purpose for writing this letter. Did you, did you notice it in this context? The spirit of falsehood promotes everything as acceptable. That is, accept the truth of God that leads to true fellowship, a true relationship with him. Now, I'm sure you know us well as I do, that the common assumption is that Christians are not to judge. This is just one more example of how the, the spirit of falsehood has, has impressed its control on us as believers. But if you hear what John's saying, we must judge. We must critically analyze what's going on around us to discern. That's a good word, isn't it? Discern. Unless we want to fall prey to the spirit of falsehood. You and I need to judge. Yes, yes, judge correctly, but make no mistake, we are to judge. By the way, there's a difference between judging and being judgmental. There's a lot of believers who are judgmental. They're, they're superior. They're, they look down on people. They're better. They know more. That's not what we're talking about. We're to be humble. We are to be humble. But we are to be discerning. We are to be judging. Life cannot be lived without healthy, thoughtful judgment. Having clarified that we are to judge, let me ask, by what criteria are we to judge? There's three things in this passage. First, our discernment is to be framed in the teachings of Scripture. Verse 5, they are from the world, they, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. You see the difference? We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, the spirit of truth. By this we know 
the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As John is penning the word of God, he recognizes that those, there are those who are going to listen to it and there are those who are not going to listen to it. Right judgment grows as you hear the word of God and implement its parameters into your life. Guidance. Where our sin and our selfishness is recognized, our, our personal sin and our personal selfishness is recognized. And where godly concepts are put into practice. By the way, this is why we need to be in the word regularly, on a daily basis. You cannot expect right decisions, nor can you expect to have godly judgment if you're not in the word regularly, daily. If you're not in the word, it just can't happen. Second, what others do with Jesus Christ is the overriding determiner in this discernment process. Uh, back to verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Once you know where others are with Jesus Christ, everything else begins to, to fit into place. Uh, John's theology is a, a Christ-centered theology. Everything pivots on him. John's example ought to be our following. Everything in our lives ought to pivot on Jesus Christ. If it's not, your life isn't Christ-centered. It's spinning perilously out of whack. And the third thing, judgment for the believer is to be based on love. Uh, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Here we are back at love. We, we dealt with it last time. We're going to deal with it again. John, it, it's one of the strands that weaves this book together, love and truth. Love as the world knows it, as we looked at last time, and as we lay this text right up next to it, love as the world knows it is colored by the spirit of falsehood. The spirit of uh, falsehood has conned us with a, a, a broad scam of what love is and what it isn't. The late pastor, Ben Hayden, says, I remember in Miami rushing to the hospital and seeing a young family. All the children were in their teens. Their father had just blown his brains out with a shotgun. Pray for my father, the apparent leader of the children begged. Pray for my father, pray that he will live. I don't want him to die, pray that he will live. Ben Hayden said, I can't do that. Why not, his daughter asked. I, I thought you did that sort of thing. No. 
Because if your father were to live, he would be a vegetable only. And it would break your heart around the clock. I don't care, she replied. I I want him to live. Pray that he will live. And then the invariable question, how can a God of love allow this to happen to my daddy? God's love, do you understand it? Or is your view of God's love so colored by the spirit of falsehood that you miss its point entirely? God's love is narrow and it is specific. And it has narrow and specific results in mind. God gave us his love in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Read it right here in verses 9 through 12. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the the satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The spirit of truth always leads to true love, the the, the true gospel that gives birth to true fellowship and true sonship. Yes, narrow and specific. Jesus came to redeem us from our sin and give us new life in him. The world doesn't understand God's love like this. What bothers me is that so many of us have a deformed idea of what his love is to us in the church, us who profess Christ. I read about a boy who uh, sat turning the pages of one of those great big wonderful books. This one was uh, uh, about uh, artists and their paintings down through history. And as he flipped through the pages, he came to a, a graphic depiction of the crucifixion. And as he looked at it, his, his face grew sad. and There was a, a, a tinge of anger. And he responded, if God had been there, he wouldn't have let them do it. That's a common view of God's love. But if you look at scripture, it's clear that God was there. He was not only there, but he planned it to happen as it happened. It wasn't just chance. 2 Corinthians 5:19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's you and me. Narrow and specific. The world takes pride in diversity and individuality and autonomy. Jesus came to make us one with God, to to bring us atonement. Stop and think about that for a minute. 
He came to make us one with God through his sacrifice. Not to let us continue on as we have been or as we have always done, but to make us one with God, to change us, to make us holy. Error abounds. It looks good and it sounds so right. Everybody to their own thing. Everybody for their own pleasure, their own happiness. Whatever it is that makes you happy. But this is the spirit of falsehood. It's pluralistic. It's wide open, except when it comes to Jesus Christ for who he is and what he did. God's truth is narrow. It's specific. In Jesus Christ, he has given us his love, and he's given us his truth. The spirit of falsehood and the spirit of truth, they're at work in our world. The question I think we need to ask today, which is at work in my life? The spirit of truth, the spirit of falsehood. Which is at work in my life? And it all depends on what you do with his son, doesn't it? what you do with his truth, what you do with his, his love. In a world that prides itself on plurality, on autonomy, we in Jesus Christ are called to oneness of thought and purpose, oneness of faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday was one of the great evangelists of his day. Uh, originally, he wanted nothing to do with Christianity, though. He, he, he had better things to do with his life. He, he didn't like the church. He found fault with the church, the hypocrites in it. He was a, a professional baseball player with the Chicago Cubs, center field. And he loved what he was doing. One afternoon, however, in Chicago... As he and a group of his ball-playing buddies exited a saloon, a, a bar, they were drunk, they were carrying on, they were laughing. But Billy Sunday noticed a small group of people a little bit up the street. They were singing and they too were laughing. And Billy Sunday stopped in his tracks and he began to, to listen to them. Shortly, uh, Harry Monroe of Pacific Garden Mission stepped out and gave a short message about God's saving power in Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday's mind uh, rushed back to his childhood and his mother, who always prayed for him. He remembered the church they went to and what a joyful place it was to be. He recalled the love that was so evident in their midst and tears began to trickle down his cheeks. In that brief moment, Billy Sunday's life changed. He, he turned to his friends on, on that street corner and, and he said, boys, I'm through. I'm going to turn from my sin and come to Christ. I guess it's hard for you to understand, but we've come to a parting of the ways. 
Now, Billy Sunday was famous for his pranks, and a lot of those guys thought he was just pulling another prank. But there were others in the group who recognized the, the resolution in his voice, and they stood stunned. This hard-living, hard-drinking, hard-playing man left his friends standing on that street corner, and he, he went to Pacific Garden Missions with that group, where with alcohol still on his breath, an unresolved sin still in his life, he called on God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Later he would say, I staggered out of my sins into the outstretched arms of the Savior. I instantly became a new creature. Leaving his sensational career behind, Billy Sunday began serving the Lord for $75 a month. Later, his evangelistic work would uh, attract crowds of thousands upon thousands, and, and thousands upon thousands would come to the Lord as he urged them to do what he had done, stagger out of their lives into the waiting arms of the Savior. I love that story. It tells us everything we need to know. This is you and me, isn't it? In this world where individuals pride themselves on doing things their way, you and I are called to a life-changing oneness of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that if you're here this morning and you aren't sure of your salvation, that you talk to me or Matt or Diane or Kathy or, or Mike. Talk to somebody. And we'll help you secure your salvation. We'll help you walk into those arms as he wraps them around you. Father, as we close, we're mindful of our world of its influence on us, of what it expects of us. Father, we're also mindful of the love you have given us in Jesus Christ. How in him we can receive your blessings. How in him we can receive your grace and your truth, Father. I pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear what John has written here and what you have come to do in our lives and the relationship you want us to have with you. Father, thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' precious name.